Amen. You can have a seat. If you get today, you picked a weird Sunday to try us out. Uh, wait, what? I need this table. All right. See? See what I mean? Um, okay. So, this Sunday is He's our family. the weird one. What's that? The weird one. <laughs> okay. Um, and so, I, I'm just going to say this real quick, and I'm not going to say anything else about it, um, but I am incredibly awkward up here right now, because I'm not comfortable talking to a dummy, but I have to today, because it's all about the kids. I know how you feel, it's a weird experience. <laughs> so that's all I'm going to say, because he, he's a little smart aleck little dummy. Um, and so, alrighty. Alright, so we are in James chapter 4 today. Boys and girls, we want to say welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. Um, and we're in the book of James. And like some of you probably already know, and if you don't, we, we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. And this is where we find ourselves today is in James chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. And, and I'll actually read that. It'll be on the screen behind us. And I'll read this to you. James 4, 4 through 6. Wonderful start to a family service, I might add. Um, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace, amen. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And, and Lord, we do believe this is your word for your people. And, and so, God, we pray that you would speak to us through it. It's in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Adultery, so. huh? What is this, days of our lives? Man, that's a great topic you picked there for family Sunday. Can't wait to hear this. All right. We preach verse by verse. Charlie, I'm not, I, it's hard for me to talk to Andy, okay? Um, and, and so this is where we find ourselves in, in James. So, all right, so s since you're so eager to talk, whoever I look at here, wh why, don't, why don't you give us the intro? And stop, look out there. They want to see you. I don't. And it's okay, parents, if you have some kids that, that are a little afraid, Hank is too. So you're in good company. The, the, I think it's really cool that you and I get to do this section, you know, because we... You know, it's about resolving conflicts in the church, oh and gosh. you and I have some relational strains, you know, but, but I think I figured it out. You're jealous of me. Okay. That's what James said was causing the conflict, right? right he Jealousy, did. that's what it yep. is. Probably so. <laughs> <laughs> Probably so. Go ahead. No, 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 it's your turn now. Was that the, oh, that was the intro? I thought you were the preacher. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And so, yes, um, they are right. Yeah. Say, they are right know. in saying the context is there are quarrels within this church, within the church in James, and I'm all confused. So uh, we do have quarrels <laughs> in this church, but, but specifically there's quarrels in the church that James is writing to, and those quarrels are centered and, and this idea of selfishness. And that's what James has been um, exposing in the hearts of his readers. And, and I know in my own heart throughout this study. It's, it's he wants all of us to look within. He's not overly concerned with what's 
on the exterior. And, and so keep in mind, as we saw last week, that there's some piety, there's some religion to what these people are doing every day and every week. And so for a lot of them, um, they still look religious, but there's quarrels and there's fights. And the reason that there are quarrels and fights is because their hearts are far from God. And last week we talked about proximity and those kind of things. And so today, um, where we pick up, uh, it, it is quite an abrupt uh, way to start the conversation. And in verse 4, as he says, you adulterous people, considering that every single other time that he's addressed his, his readers up to this point, he's called them brothers and sisters. And so he, he definitely catches their attention there. And so today he's going to show us what selfishness um, with worldliness really is. And, and it is, as he calls it here, it, it's spiritual adultery. And so why don't you guys give us a, a, a definition, a good definition for all of us, kids included, for adultery? Hey, I'm going to let you take this one, okay? <laughs> I think that's a good plan. So we would define adultery um, as not being faithful to one you've promised to be faithful to. Hey, that's pretty good. You could take some tips from her. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And so, and so, so boys and girls and, and, and all of us, adultery is it's, it's a breaking of a covenant. And so when there's been a promise made between two people in marriage, um, that, that promise is, is not to be broken. And so the Bible uses, the Old Testament and New Testament alike, the Bible uses marriage to describe God's relationship with his people. And, and so it's, it's intensely relational. And so when he says, you adulterous people, it is abrupt and it is harsh and it does you know, cause us to feel uncomfortable. But what it also exposes on the flip side is that there is a relationship and, and that there is a covenant. And thankfully, in, in the covenant that we have with God, those who have come to God through faith in Christ, the covenant that you have with God is, is one that's dependent on His faithfulness and His promises and His power and His ability to maintain the covenant. And so I hope today we all see this at the end of it as we come full circle. I hope that we see that we have a God who is willing to pursue us in our sinfulness, not just to bring us into this covenant, but we have a God who loves us enough to pursue us while we're in the covenant with him so that we can remain and stay in, in that relationship. And so a few things, and I think these will pop up on the screen here, um, but there's a couple of things, a couple of truths about um, this, this relationship that we have with the Lord and, and this covenant. The first one is this, and I kind of already um, alluded to this, but believers are married to Jesus. And, and so boys and girls, most of you know what a, a marriage is. It's when a man and a woman by God's design come together and, and they make a covenant. They make a promise to one another. They make a promise before the Lord at the wedding ceremony and they also make a promise to all those people who are there. And, and so in the New Testament, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 that husbands and wives' relationship is to be a picture of the relationship that we have with Jesus. And so marriage is, is not perfect, right? Amen? Everybody? Y'all, y'all, ours is not perfect. Yours may be. Um, but all of our marriages are actually pointing to a greater marriage. And so all of our marriages are a, a, a small parable of a greater reality. And so marriage by design is to teach us more of the way that Christ has loved us. But the main point is, is that the, the one relationship that God uses to describe the, the relationship that we have with Jesus is marriage. Also, in the final day when Jesus returns and, and brings his bride home, there will be a wedding feast. There will be a banquet. And how many of you have ever been to a wedding? Adults too. 
All right, so a lot of us have been to a wedding and, and the big crescendo, right? After all the wedding party comes in and grandma's come in and mom and daddy come in and you know, everybody that's mad at everybody comes in and sits down, you know? All right, so then I, if I'm the pastor, what I would do at that point is I say, if you would stand, please. And what's about to happen? The bride's coming. And so when everybody stands, I've turned everybody's attention to the bride. And every single time that I see that, as the, I see that, I'm reminded of what it's going to be like one day when the body of Christ is presented to God the Father as the bride of the Son. And she's dressed in white and she's beautiful and, and everybody's looking at her and she's the center of the, of the glory and the beauty. And, and so when you see a wedding, when you experience a wedding, keep that in mind because marriage is wonderful and it brings a lot of graces to us in this life, but it has one main purpose and it's the gospel. It's, it's a picture in a... Of, and I'm sorry, it's a pointer to the great wedding feast that we will have one day. So even though adultery is a strong word, you adulterous people, um, it does indicate that believers, that, that we are actually in covenant and married to Jesus. Second thing is spiritual adultery is a very serious sin. And that's, that's not a uh, you know, newsflash to you guys. We all probably know that. But, but just as serious of a sin as adultery is um, in your marriage, spiritual adultery is... Um, just as significant. Next thing is this friendship with the world, as it says in, let's see, verse 6, the middle part of verse 6, where he says, but he gives, no, 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 I'm sorry, verse 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Um, friendship with the world and friendship with God are mutually exclusive things. And so what he's saying is, is you can't be in this kind of relationship with the world and be in covenant with the world and also be in this kind of relationship with God. And so, beloved, there's no in-between. Um, the Bible doesn't offer us an in-between stage um, with God. We're either a friend of His or we're a friend of the world. I mean, can you imagine? Oh, oh I, I think I can demonstrate this okay. real well. Okay, Hank. Yes. I said Hank. Yeah, okay. okay. All right. Um, does, does the name Rachel ring a bell to you? I'm going to guess the look on your face it does. And um, so how do you think it would go if you told Charlie that you missed Rachel and you're going to take her out on a date so y'all could catch up? <laughs> I can tell you that would not fly. Right. That, and that so not, considering that, that um, Andy, considering that was, I'm talking to Andy, by the way, just for the record. Um, that was, look me in the eyes when you <laughs> talk to me. <laughs> that was... I, my my twenty year You're high school my twenty it. year high school reunion <laughs> is in three weeks, and so that makes Rachel at least twenty four years ago. But I don't think it would go well, still, because evidently there's still some bitterness somewhere. <laughs> I think the point was a mutually exclusive relationship. Absolutely, that's right. It would not go well. I answered his question. It it would not go well at all. If, amen, that's right. If I asked Charlie if I could go hang out with Rachel to catch up, that wouldn't go well. And, and so as ridiculous as that would be, um, I think James's point is in the same way. When you come to Christ as Savior and Lord, I know a lot of times, boys and girls, we think of Christianity and we think it, that we just kind of go in, we're just going to this taskmaster that is just giving us this list of rules that we're to obey and follow when it's much, much, much deeper than that, that we are entering into a covenant relationship described by marriage with God himself. 
I mean, that lets us know that God, he really cares for you. Like God, as we're going to see in just a second, he longs for you. He's not just longing for a group of people. He longs for individuals that make up that group. And so, as, as crazy as the little scenario that these two came up with would be, I mean, that's James's point. Like, it doesn't make sense to say that you love the world in this way and you love God in this way because those two things can't happen. Therefore, so let's just get a summary thought on, on this idea of spiritual adultery. Adultery... And, and those of you who are married or not, or long to be, um, this, this is a very helpful sentence. Adultery is seeking needs outside of the covenant that are designed to be met within. And so if, if you think about, your, like if, if you're married today and you're trying to def, you know, define adultery, what I do with pre-marriage counseling and Charlie and I constantly talk through things like this, is any need that's designed to be met inside of marriage, whether it's emotional, certainly physical, spiritual, any of those that God has designed to be met inside of marriage, anything that you go outside of the covenant for that need to be met, that's adultery. And, and so again, it points to the relationship that we have with the Lord. You see, we're not just in a relationship just to have a relationship. He wouldn't use marriage as an analogy if there wasn't needs to be met inside the covenant. And so boys and girls, moms and dads, everybody in, included here, God, when, when you're in relationship with God, he has designed that relationship to bring you delight, to satisfy your needs. And so what God offers you is greater than what the world offers you. And so whenever we go outside of this covenant with, um, that we're in with God, we commit spiritual adultery. And what we're doing when we do that is we have needs in our heart, longings in our heart that we just don't think God can meet. And so therefore we go to the world. We go, and, and guys, it's not always this big, dark, ugly, sinful thing. Morally neutral things we expect God-type things from. But the only one that can come through for us every single time in the right way, consistently, is God himself. And so spiritual adultery, or adultery in general, is seeking needs outside of the covenant that are designed to be met within the covenant. Which this also helps us define what type of friendship and what type of relationship that this is. And so, question, what does it mean to be a friend of the world? Think about that. What does it mean to be a friend of the world? It's just saying another way what I've already said. Being a friend of the world is seeking out things from the world that God has designed to give you. But also, did you notice what the scripture says? Do you not know that friendship with the world is what? Enmity with God. Then he goes on to say, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so that, that's what I mean by there's no in between. And so when you, we set out to be friends with the world, not only are we committing spiritual adultery, but we are setting ourselves opposed to God. We're actually enemies of God. Some of you may remember um, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talks about having two masters. I mean, th this is James again echoing these two things. In fact, I, I want to use a kid here to demonstrate this. Come on. Come on, sweetheart. Brian's got his face in his hands right now. Hey, um, what's your name again? Rayleigh. Rayleigh, can you tell us some things about your dad, Brian? No, don't, no, no, I'm just kidding, just kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke, sweetie. All right, so Rayleigh, here, here, here's what we want to do here. I'm going to use, yeah, yeah, hop up there. All right, I'm going to use 
me, and then Andy. Are, are you okay with that? She's fine with it. She looked me straight in the face. Okay. All right. All right. So, so, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to do what I say, and then I also want you to do what Andy says. Okay? We're going to see how that goes. All right. So look to your right. Look to your left. Look up. Look down. Stand up. Sit down. War Eagle. Roll time! All right, so get up and walk around. Sit, sit, sit down. So, so Riley, what's going on? How come you're not doing what I say? Because Andy's saying the things he wants me to do so quickly. So why aren't you doing what Andy says? Because I'm telling you to do something else. Right? And so this is what James is saying. And Jesus too. If you, there's no way possible to have two masters. There's no way to be a friend of the world and to be a friend with God. Because they're saying two different things. They're mutually exclusive. They're not the same. And so that's why you couldn't do it. Because if you, in this ear you have one message. And in this ear you have another message. There's no way to do them both. And so what would you ultimately have to do in order to even do anything. Alright, so let's try it again. Alright, stand up. Sit down. You gotta pick one. You gotta pick one. Which one are you gonna pick? The cute one. <laughs> you picked Andy. And he's the world in the analogy. Sorry, no, I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. So, thank you, Riley. You can have a seat, sweetie. Thank you very much. Good job, Riley. Good job, sweetie. Good job, Riley. Where are we? And so, it's impossible. It's impossible. I mean, the scary thing is, is the people in James's context and the people in our context is we can look religious, we can maintain this kind of Christian facade, but what James wants us to do and, and where he wants us to look, where he wanted his readers to turn their eyes was within. And using the marriage analogy... The greatest question for all of us to ask in regards to spiritual adultery is where are we going to have our needs met? Is every time there's angst or there's fear or there's doubt or there's sin or anything in our heart, are we running to the world to see what the world has to say? Are we running to the world for comfort? Are we running to the world for wisdom? That's been a theme here. Or are we humbly submitting ourselves to, to the Lord? I mean, Andy, what are some things the world offers? Candy. Yeah. Candy, candy's good. Yeah, but what happens when you eat the candy? You get some more. <laughs> okay, what about when that's when that's all gone? You you go get some more. No, 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 no. What about after that? Well, then your stomach hurts a little. <laughs> yeah, it does. So so eventually the things of the world run out. Yeah. What else? What else? What other kind of things? A puppy. Oh no. <laughs> puppies are puppies are good, but they grow up to be like dogs. Yep, is that it? Yeah, what about, what about, money, 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 money. <laughs> yeah, money's a good one too, for sure. Those are things, but, but are those things sinful? Are they bad? And Gotta have money to eat. You do. And buy clothes. That's true. And pay for a house and a car. Right. And a smartphone. True, if, ah, here I go, talking to Andy. <laughs> so, um, Andy a problem. I guess when you love them a lot, 
You said it's when I want something from them that God's supposed to provide for me. That's right. And so believe it or not, we are, um, and this is a strong word, but we are shallow enough, and I'm the front in line here, to whenever we have um, fear and doubt and concern and anxiety in our hearts, a lot of times we run to some really simple things of the world. We run to food, or we run to um, uh, nicotine, or we run to alcohol, or we run to our spouse, or we run to these other things that aren't necessarily sinful in and of themselves, but they can't be God. They can't do for us what only God can do. Everything that the world offers, even the good things, um, are ultimately these broken cisterns that leak. And so we go to them for drink, but they can't really satisfy our thirst. And so you remember the story of Jesus and the, and, and the woman at the well? You remember she's coming in the middle of the day and, um, you know, she's not even, so, I mean, she doesn't expect to see a man. She doesn't certainly expect to be approached by a man. And, and so she goes to the well hoping to avoid everybody and Jesus meets her there. And what Jesus exposes in her heart is that she's thirsty. Not only, she's physically thirsty, but there's more to it than that. She's spiritually thirsty. And what this woman had tried to do is she tried to quench her thirst with all of these um, different men, these different relationships that she thought would actually satisfy her soul. That's a picture of her being a friend of the world. She's going to the world looking for what only Christ can give her. And so when Christ gets to the bottom of that and lets her know that um, he is the living water, that he is the the only one that can quench her thirst. I love this and it's easy to miss is that when the woman runs back to tell her village what's happened to her, she And in my mind, I, I, I've preached you that multiple times and I, I vividly remember the one specific time, I don't even think I was preparing a sermon, I read that and I thought, man, that is, that's huge. That she came with these, what she thought was a physical need, she came with this cup and she just wanted to keep drinking from that earthly cup and that earthly cup just couldn't do it for her. The earthly cup says you got to keep coming back, you got to keep coming back, you got to keep coming back, and eventually it's empty. And what a beautiful picture of now she has received and believed in Jesus as the living water, and she drops that earthly cup. That broken cistern that can't satisfy the deepest needs of her heart. Now in verse 5, this is a fascinating thought by the way. In verse 5, he says, or do you suppose it is... To no purpose that the scripture says. And by the way, verse 5 is the hardest verse in the entire New Testament to translate. I say does not necessarily mean that this is the way it is. You can read commentaries. All you, I mean, they're, they're split about three different ways. It's a very, very difficult verse to translate. And so I'm going to just attempt to give you what, what I think fits and makes the most sense. He says, or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says? He, this is God now. This is the fascinating thought that I want um, um, to point out. He, God, yearns jealously over the Spirit. Now, I do think this Spirit here is the Spirit, is the part of our being that's spiritual. I don't necessarily think that it's the Holy Spirit. It could be. But for, for me, just in the context, it makes the most sense that, that God yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us. The jealousy thing can throw us off. I mean... Uh, thinking and trying to wrap our mind around what it means for God to be jealous is a hard thing to do because why? It's a negative emotion. It's, it's, it almost always feels sinful, right? Hey, right? you know what? You, you know Joseph and Meg? I do. You, you know Meg's about to have a baby? She is. Yeah, so Joseph's been struggling to, to read her emotions sometimes. 
Oh, that's a, that is a struggle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know what he did? He thought her a mood ring, so he'd know. That's pretty smart. Yeah, when she's happy, it's green. Okay? When she's sad, it's blue. Well, that's good that he can look at that. Well, what, what, about, what about if she's jealous? It, reads, it leaves a red mark on his forehead. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, jealousy is a negative emotion. And, Joseph, I didn't notice your forehead this morning. Does it have a red mark? Does it? Yeah, it's got a permanent one. Huh? Yeah. And so... Um, but here's the thing about jealousy. There is a righteous jealousy that we can even... I mean, again, go back to the marriage covenant, the marriage relationship. There are things with this thought of yearning. There are things that, that can only, or, or needs that can only be met or should only be met inside of this covenant that Charlie and I have. And so we yearn for things from one another, physical, emotional, spiritual, and all of those things. And that yearning is not a sinful yearning. And so it, it, it's not perfect like God's is, but here's a good, healthy way to think of God being jealous over you or a righteous jealousy in general. And this is the fascinating thought. I want you to hear this, that God has passion for you. The God of the universe. Now, there's no way for me to even take our minds uh, to the place that that can take our minds to understand what it means for God to be creator and how vast all of this actually is and the power that it would take not only to create but to sustain. That God, as big as he is and as vast as he is, has for individuals, for people. Now, you may be sitting here today going, I don't even know, I don't feel like many people even love me. I don't feel like there are any people that have passion for me and so if that's you I want if you hadn't listened yet I want you to start honing in here because the gospel says something to God's passion for individuals that is mind-boggling and so now let's move on here just just with that thought in mind you look down at verse six and and and, and try to notice the flow um, from five to six he says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us but listen to verse six One of my favorite sentences in all the Bible. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud. Again, if you're not a friend of God, you're an enemy of God. And here it says it another way, God opposes you. Because it's pride that sent you to your own way of meeting your own needs. That's a prideful thing. And so, not only does it make you an enemy and you set yourself against God, but here it says that, that God actually opposes you but to the humble I'm sorry but gives grace to the humble and so the flow from five and six is if if God's demand and and it is if God's demand is is absolute fidelity it's faithfulness from us that seems completely impossible right and I want to I want to tell you that, that it is on our own in our own strength The command that God gives us to not commit spiritual adultery is impossible. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot do it in and of ourselves. And so notice the flow here. So what does he do? He gives more grace. And the way that he's given us grace in lots of ways, but the main way that he has given us grace in this context with this thought of adultery is that in the covenant, in the covenant, as hard as this is for us to maybe wrap our mind around, We are the adulterer. 
And the only way, the only way that that relationship is going to be restored, the only way that it's going to be fixed, is if the one that's a part of the covenant that's not the adulterer is willing to what? Give grace. That's the only way it happens. And so this problem of spiritual adultery is not one that we can fix on our own. It's one that whenever we notice it, it, it brings anxiety, it brings fear, it brings, we, we, we try to cover it up, we try to sweep it under the rug, we try to justify it. But what I want you to hear this morning is because of Jesus and who he is and what he's done, you don't have to do that. Because you have one who is currently, right now, an adulterer. Let's wrap our minds around that. And so for the one that's proud, for the one that's proud, that they read the first sentence of verse 4, you adulterous people, and they don't hear it. They say things like, don't you ever say something like that to me again. I'm a pretty good person. I do things the right way most of the time, if not all the time. And so for the proud, when they hear you adulterous people, they, they balk at that and they don't hear verse 4. But also the proud don't need verse 6. He gives more grace. And so Andy, I want to thank you for coming. I appreciate, um, I don't know if I appreciate it or not, but I, I'm trying to be, go ahead. I thought you are going to read Psalms 107. Are you done with the Bible? No, no I'm not. Can you read Psalms 107? I can. Jeremy, would you throw Psalms 107 up there? Glad Andy's paying attention. I'm only... For he, God, satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul, he fills with good things. See, pride's hunger, boys and girls, pride's hunger is for more of self-glory more of self-power, more of self-promotion. Um, but the humble person comes to the Lord and understands that God is the only one that can satisfy those deep longings. And the, the humble person comes to the Lord understanding that the hungry soul, God is the only one that can fill with good things. See, I, I, the reason I want you to read this, brother, I'm just trying to help you out, you know, brother to brother. Yeah. And um, I, I know you struggle that every time you look in the mirror, you, you just wish you looked as good as me and you want that self-glory. So, so I'm going to pray for you. That, that, that you long for God. Because not everyone can be as beautiful as me. So let me get this right. You wanted me to, that's why you wanted me to read Psalms 107. That's exactly Nine. why I wanted you to read that. And, and that's what I wanted to tell you. I'm going to be praying for you. Well, thank you. Listen, Andy. Beauty's only skin deep. Look, now, is, Hank, a... he must, is he inside out? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I do, think, I do think it's time for you to go Let now. me just tell you something, Andy. Hey, if, I, if you ever... Can you, you look me in the eye and tell yes, me? Yes, and if, okay. I'm telling you this right now in front okay. of all these witnesses. All righty. If I ever hear you praying and you're not sitting in her lap, you're, t you're gone. <laughs> you will be in the bottom of the river, in the depths, and you'll never be found again, ever. He's threatening me. Y'all hear that? He's threatening me. You'll the... never be found again. So, boys and girls, yeah, let's give Andy a hand. So thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, man, in the world. Yeah, he touched me. So, Ben, if you guys would come back up.